please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Uh, Our sermon this morning comes from Philippians chapter 2. We'll be reading verse 19 through 30. Um, If you're using the Pew Bible, that's on page 981. Uh, Philippians 2, beginning in verse 19. Uh, Congregation of the Lord Jesus, this is His holy, infallible, and abiding Word. Give your full attention to it. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with joy, with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. O Lord our God, uh, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we may gaze on the wonders of your word. Uh, May we find Christ and him and all his mercy and grace to us in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Paul has laid down some heavy theology so far in this book. And so at first glance, this passage may seem to be a break from that. Uh, Because Paul is now telling the Philippians his travel plans. Um, For this passage to make any sense, I think we have to go back to Paul's argument argument in chapter 1, verse 27, where he said, Only let your behavior as citizens of heaven be worthy of the gospel of Christ. How do citizens of heaven behave? Well, they are to be of one mind. And they are to treat others more significant than themselves. Uh, This, according to Paul, is supremely seen in the humble life of Jesus Christ. He says, you know, look to him as you seek to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so, in comes Timothy and Epaphroditus. Uh, Here then are two of heaven's citizens, worthy of admiration and honor. Uh, Not because they're so great, but because they reflect who Jesus is and uh, and what he has done for us. 
are the humble characteristics Paul wants us to cultivate, Timothy and Epaphroditus are excelling at. And so Paul is not simply telling the Philippians about his travel plans. It's so much more than that. Paul wants us to see his theology not in an ivory tower, but in, con- in the context of real people in the real world. This is theology enfleshed. Uh, these two guys are candidates of what humility looks like. Uh, for Paul, they serve as living examples. Uh, he wants them to see uh, the Philippians. He wants the Philippians to see humility in person. Uh, because humility is infectious. It moves from person to person. I mean, isn't that part of the reason why we need one another? We learn by encounter. Uh, that's just how we grow, not just as individuals, but as a community. In Timothy and Epaphroditus, we, we find a risk-taking kind of humility in service of the gospel. And so here's the big idea I want us to wrestle with this morning. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we must faithfully risk everything for the gospel of Christ. I'll say that again. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we must faithfully risk everything for the gospel of Christ. So first up, Timothy. Uh, We already know Timothy from the beginning of this letter. Uh, Paul introduced himself along with Timothy as servants or slaves of Christ Jesus. Uh, And he tells us about him in other places, in his other letters. Uh, You probably know that Timothy was a young pastor. He was young, but he was faithful to his calling. Uh, And we see in verse 19 that Paul is hopeful to send Timothy. Uh, But notice where Paul's hope lies. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, Paul says. Paul's hope is in the Lord Jesus. He knows the outcome does not belong to him. It belongs to God. You know, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Uh, This trust is common to Paul in his missionary travels. Uh, He would make plans to go to one place, uh, but he trusted God even if the Spirit uh, should take him in another place. Uh, I think that's the kind of humility we can all learn from. Uh, it um, It reminds me of James when he said, uh, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, he will, uh, we will live and do this or that. We make plans, but the Lord is the one who executes his plans. Uh, Paul hopes to send Timothy, knowing that it might not happen at the end. Uh, but look at Paul's commendation of Timothy. Paul says, For I have no one like him. Uh, the Greek literally reads, For no one I have that is like-minded or like-souled. What what did Paul just say to the Philippians? Strive side by side. Be like-minded. Be of one mind for the sake of the gospel. And so here's what that like-mindedness looks like. 
We see it in their relationship. Paul and Timothy share the same goals as they serve Jesus. You know what that's called? That's called friendship. Uh, It's a kind of friendship that can't easily be broken. And not because of anything in them, but because of their conviction of what the gospel is. And so Paul says of his friend to the Philippians, you know, Timothy is someone who will show concern and compassion for you. He's going to risk his well-being for your sake. uh, Here's a man who exemplifies what Paul commanded the Philippians earlier in this chapter. He said, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Timothy will show them that. That's why Paul wanted to, uh, to send him to them. Uh, Timothy is very much what Paul was like. He said this of himself, Paul, uh, to the uh, Corinthians. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. And Timothy is unlike the others around Paul. All the others are still seeking their own interests. They don't seek the interests of Jesus. What is Jesus interested in? I think that's a good question for us to ask. It's a question we need to keep asking ourselves. What is Jesus interested in? Uh, Jesus is not interested in taking things for his own advantage. Jesus is not interested in self-gain. Jesus is interested in giving himself up for the welfare of others. I like how Paul sums it up in 1 Corinthians 10. Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. That's what Timothy was all about. It's what we should be all about, the good of our neighbor. And Paul goes on to remind the Philippians that Timothy is someone they already knew. Uh, He's someone who has been tested. His character uh, shouldn't be mysterious to them. Paul says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. Indeed, you know that he's someone who will look out for you. You've seen what he's been like with me, Paul says. Uh, Timothy's character has been put to the test, and he passes with flying colors, uh, which should really resonate with the Philippians, uh, because they've been tested themselves. Here's what Paul says of them in 2 Corinthians, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. That was the Philippians. They were tested and they were steadfast. They were generous. Now they have witnessed Paul trust Timothy. Paul says, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Timothy has been faithful to Paul 
like a son to a father. Uh, He's been by Paul's side in all of Paul's hardship. Uh, uh, Paul is changing the metaphor a little bit here, right? Uh, He goes from a close friendship to a deep father-son relationship. And here's what I think Paul means. Timothy is going to look and and act like his father in the faith. He will serve the Philippians in the gospel as if Paul himself were present. I mean, no wonder Paul is commending Timothy so hard here. He's going to be like a son who does the father's will. Hint, hint, right? Uh, Think of some of the people who were tested in scripture. Abraham was tested. You know, let's see if you're going to give up your only son, Isaac, for me, God said. Uh, God tested Israel in the desert. The Lord Jesus himself was tested in the desert. And so listen, uh, being tested is not a bad thing. It actually should be something that we embrace. And I know it, it sounds painful. Being tested sounds painful. Nobody really likes being tested. I know I don't. Um, if you've ever seen me on the, on the floor of Presbytery, I'm a mess. I freeze up. Being tested uh, is not fun. But our character needs to be tested because it's actually part of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus wants to expose our character. He wants to refine us like gold through the fire. Not only to those who are observing, but also to ourselves. Testing allows us to see what we are truly like when we are most vulnerable so that God can change us over time to make us more and more like our Savior. This Timothy, whose character has been tested, is the one Paul wanted to send to the Philippians. But first, he wants to see what will happen to him in his trial. You remember, he's under trial. Uh, He doesn't know whether he will live or he will die. And so sending Timothy right now, it's not the right time. It's not the right time. So next, man up. That's Epaphroditus. Uh, He's already, he's ready to come to them. In fact, he wasn't just ready, Paul says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. It was the perfect time to send him to them. And Epaphroditus is one of the Philippians, actually. Um, The Philippians actually sent Epaphroditus first to Timothy, I mean to Paul. But Epaphroditus was much much more than a delivery boy or someone to run an errand. Uh, look, look at the way Paul describes him. My brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Epaphroditus has become a close companion to Paul. Uh, notice the language that Paul is using. My brother. What is that? It's a phrase of closeness. Uh, it's to be identified in the same family. And they share in the same work of the gospel Epaphroditus was a fellow worker, and they are engaged in the same spiritual warfare. He's become a fellow soldier. 
You know, I love me a good war movie. Uh, my wife will tell you that one of the first movies we've watched together was, um, uh, was Glory. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that movie, with Denzel Washington. It's such a good movie. Uh, it's, a, it's a movie about the Civil War. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. Um, my wife, not so much. But she, she will uh, bear with me and watch the same movie, right? What a good wife. Um, and I like that movie. Uh, I think it's so good because of the camaraderie between the soldiers. Uh, I think some of you who were or are currently in the military know how war draws people closer together. Uh, and, but, you know, a lot of us have not been in war. Um, but it's not just war. Hardship and suffering can also do that. Uh, we all know this. Being in the trenches of life together can bring us closer together. Uh, the point of the Philippians sending Epaphroditus was simple. Paul needed someone to minister to his needs. Uh, Epaphroditus was that for Paul. Uh, he served like a priest on his behalf. Uh, can you imagine how Paul would have felt to receive that kind of service? I think um, he would have seen a reflection of his own ministry. Uh, here's how he described his ministry in Romans 15. Uh, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. How could Paul not be happy to have Epaphroditus by his side? Uh, Paul saw in him a priestly ministry very much like his own to the Gentiles. And moreover, uh, Epaphroditus further reflects Paul's ministry. Paul says... Uh, early on, for he has been longing for you all. It seems for some time Epaphroditus has been longing to be with his brothers and sisters in Philippi, uh, which really mirrors the way Paul began this letter. He said, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Epaphroditus Epaphroditus' longing was even more intensified with an apparent illness. I mean, this guy must have been super sick. Uh, he almost died. Uh, who knows from what? I don't know what kind of illnesses were prevalent back then. But this illness wasn't just a physical problem for him. It gave Epaphroditus emotional sickness too. Look at verse 26. Paul says... He has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. I mean, that's crazy if you think about it. Epaphroditus wasn't distressed about being so close to dying, but that the Philippians should be worried about him. He was more concerned about them than he is of himself. That's crazy. And it's not that he was hiding his sickness and now that... Uh, now they, they've found out about his sickness and he's distressed. No, he loves these people. He's not hiding anything from them. He loves them. Otherwise, he wouldn't be longing to be with them. 
And so what is he doing? He's counting them more significant than himself. Their welfare over his own. But God, but God did not allow this horrible sickness to lead to death. But God had mercy on him, Paul puts it. And not only did God have mercy on Epaphroditus, but also on Paul. Because Paul felt the sorrow attached to seeing his friend face death. Not to mention the pains of being jailed for Christ. I mean, for Epaphroditus to die would be just too much for Paul. Uh, I love the way Paul puts it. Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And that's what happens when you share your life with other people. You not only share in their joy, but you also share in their affliction and sorrow. Listen. Some of us don't want to share our lives with other people, even with those in God's family. We don't want others to know our business. And maybe it's because we're scared of what others might think of us, or maybe it's just we think my business is my business. You know, however we excuse ourselves for keeping people out, that's still pride. That's still pride. I hear a lot of people complain about how shallow the church can be because they don't seem to make deep connections with other people. The truth is we want the benefit of community without taking any risks, without ever being vulnerable before other people. Uh, Let me tell you, that kind of selfishness is deeply unchristian. Because following Jesus is not a private affair. The the incontrovertible reality is that we must follow Jesus together. In all of our pains and all of our hurts, we follow Jesus together. We can't walk this road alone. Uh, Maybe we can start by opening our hearts to other people. I know this goes against our American sensibilities because we have all constructed little fences around our hearts to keep people out. You know, it's risky to let people in uh, because there's a possibility of being hurt. It might lead to distress like with Epaphroditus. But I think... When we let God tear down the fences of our hearts, then I think we will discover a liberating type of vulnerability. Then we will be free to give ourselves to other people. Uh, This is one of my favorite uh, things that C.S. Lewis ever wrote. Uh, That's saying a lot because C.S. Lewis wrote a lot of wonderful things. And you might know it. Lewis said, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping intact, uh, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. 
Lock it up safe in the casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will be changed. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impossible, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. I love that. That's the kind of man Epaphroditus was. He loved in his most vulnerable state. That's my dream for our congregation, that we might do that for one another. When we are most vulnerable, we share our lives with one another. And you know, Paul could have kept Epaphroditus back too. I mean, it's nice to have someone ministering to your needs, isn't it? Uh, but Paul chooses instead to send him back to the Philippians because he, he knows seeing their brother again would bring so much joy to them. And not only to them, but also to him as well, right? Because for Paul, he also shared in Epaphroditus' distress over them. If they would take joy in seeing Epaphroditus come back, then that would make Paul a little bit less anxious. In fact, Paul instructs them to receive him in the Lord with all joy. Uh, Maybe that seems kind of needless to say, right? But I don't think Paul is being uh, belittling here. Far from it. Uh, I just think sometimes we need to hear such obvious things. You know, of course, receive your brother with joy. You know, it'd be one thing if, you, if he came back and you, like, turned your back and didn't acknowledge him. It's very natural to receive him with joy. And so we need to be told obvious things sometimes because we can easily miss it. Uh, think of the older brother in the story of the prodigal son, right? After the younger brother... Uh, brother um, squanders his father's riches, he humbly returns home. What happens with the older son or the older brother? How should, ha- how should he have responded to the return of his brother? He should have been joyous. He should have been filled with joy as his father was. But he wasn't filled with joy, was he? So I think sometimes the obvious needs to be stated And maybe we can get it. And not only should the Philippians receive Epaphroditus with joy, but they should honor him too. Uh, Because Epaphroditus is like a wounded soldier worthy of honor. He deserves a purple purple heart, right? Uh, But here's the thing. Epaphroditus is not being honored for his strength or his courage, but his willingness to risk his life for the gospel. What God is doing in him, that should be honored. Epaphroditus nearly died doing the work of Jesus Christ. That's a faithful soldier of the Lord. He is fighting the good fight. Epaphroditus has a resolute willingness to suffer for the sake of others. That should be honored among us. You know, in the fullness of time... God the Father sent His only Son to act 
on his behalf. Uh, Jesus did all that his father had asked. In fact, Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Uh, Jesus did not only risk his life, he gave his life. At the cross, Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. On that tree, God put on Jesus sorrow upon sorrow. God held back his mercy from his own son, that that we sinners might receive mercy from him. So what does that tell us? It tells us you can count on Jesus to care for you, to care for your souls. And so let me close with this. What is so significant to you that is worth risking your life? Many people risk their lives for money. They might risk it all for a shot at fame or a shot at happiness, at a relationship or whatever. Following Jesus is risky business because Jesus calls us to risk it all to die to ourselves, to give ourselves to God and to other people. Risk it all. Uh, Listen, when I say that God calls us to risk it all, I don't mean running into every burning building to save someone. This isn't about chasing death. It's about self-giving. when we give ourselves as Jesus gave himself, then we can risk our comforts. We can risk our time. We can risk our resources for our families, for our friends, for one another. Let's pray. Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are thankful that you feed us with your precious word and sacraments. May your word be a light unto our feet as we pilgrim in this dark and weary world. May we cling to your promises all the week long, that our faith might rest on the indelible and not in the transient. We pray in the name of him who bled and died for sinners and rebels, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.